Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about why researchers have broken down the smell of old books, new research that shows why your brain has a kind of spider sense, and a theory that human life originally came from outer space. Let's satisfy some curiosity. There's nothing like that musty smell of an old book. And today, I've got some exciting news. Researchers have broken down the smell of old books. And the authors of this new extensive study also have an argument for the importance of documenting and preserving smells. I love the smell of an old book. Yeah. And we've talked about this before on the full-length Curiosity podcast when we interviewed experts from the Newberry Library. Right. I will put a link to that in today's show notes. But back to today's study. As reported by How Stuff Works, researchers at University College London noticed that people visiting at least one local library would make a lot of comments about the way the place smelled. Some said it felt like they could smell history. Odors can, in fact, make us feel emotions, especially when they're related to memories. So the researchers argue that, hey, smells are part of our cultural heritage. That gives them historical value, and that means they should be identified, analyzed, and archived. To figure out how to do this, researchers started by asking visitors to describe the odors they smelled. The most common descriptors that came out included words like woody, smoky, earthy, pleasant, and even vanilla. Other words included a range including musty, pungent, floral, and even rancid. In another experiment, researchers soaked a piece of sterile gauze into an extract of the book odor. Then they put the extract in a metal canister and opened it for participants to describe. Here, the top responses included chocolate, coffee, and old. The team even analyzed the VOCs in the books and library. VOCs are volatile organic compounds, chemicals that evaporate at low temperatures. And VOCs are what most odors are made of. The researchers used data from the chemical analysis and from the descriptions of the smells from visitors, and the result was the historic book odor wheel. It's a tool they're using to document and archive that quote-unquote historic library smell. You can see the full wheel in this story's write-up that you can find on Curiosity.com and on our free Curiosity app for Android and iOS. But it's divided into main categories like medicinal or grassy slash woody that fill the inner circle of the wheel. Then there are descriptors in the middle like vinegar or charred wood. And then finally on the outside of the wheel, you'll find the chemical compounds that are probably the cause of that smelly source like acetic acid or hexanol. The researchers want the historic book odor wheel to help an untrained nose identify smells and the chemical compounds that cause them. This could help address concerns about material composition and degradation, and even help create a better museum experience for the nose. Scientists may be smart, but at the end of the day, the nose knows. <laughs> I want some of that old book extract to put in like an odor diffuser. That'd be amazing. Make I, your whole house smell like a, an old library. I'm waiting for it to turn into a perfume. Yeah, for Or a sure. cologne. <laughs> You'd attract all the right people. If you've got a crush on a bookworm, that's the ticket. New research has found evidence that supports a controversial theory that explains blind sight. This could explain why you get a funny feeling when there's danger around you, even if you can't see it. So it's kind of like humans have a spider sense. Kind of like that, yeah. So to back up for a second, there's been a lot of really interesting research into how our brains react to things, even when we, well, shouldn't. For example, a study from 1998 showed the amygdala light up in human participants when they were shown a fearful face, even if it only flashed on a screen for a few milliseconds. 
The amygdala is the center of emotion processing for the brain, and it was activated even when the participants didn't even realize they'd been shown those fearful faces. That brings us to blindsight, the phenomenon where someone with cortical blindness or blindness caused by damage to the visual cortex can still react to sudden movements or emotional facial expressions that they shouldn't be able to see. Many can even still navigate their surroundings. So they're being processed the visuals even though the person didn't consciously process the visuals. Right, like something else must be going on that their eyes are doing. For a while, there's been a theory that this so-called blindsight happens because our sense of sight actually takes two paths through the brain, one through the visual cortex and one somewhere else. This is based on research that our sense of hearing takes two paths through the brain, with one going through the auditory cortex and the other elsewhere. Likewise, there must be a second visual pathway in the human brain. It would bypass the visual cortex and go from the eyes to the brain relay station known as the thalamus and directly to the emotion-centric amygdala. There hasn't been much evidence for this controversial theory, however, until now. Last month, researchers from the University of Queensland announced that they'd found evidence for this secondary pathway. The team looked at MRI brain scans of 622 people from the Human Connectome Project. All of them had a working visual cortex, and for that project, the participants had undergone brain scans while looking at faces with different expressions. The research team started by imaging this secondary pathway from the participants' eyes to the thalamus and onto the amygdala, then estimating the density of its connections. Next, they plugged brain data from the faces task into a computer model to figure out the direction information flowed in response to the facial expressions and see if that secondary pathway played a role. It did. When people saw the threatening facial expressions, information flowed from the thalamus directly to the amygdala without stopping by the visual cortex. The researchers think it's possible we evolved this way because of redundancy. As in, it's useful to have a backup plan so in case one mechanism fails, like you can't see anything, you're still able to process things that are very important, like danger and how to navigate. This gives a solid explanation for why a sighted person's heart might race before they can process the fact that there's a mountain lion nearby and why a blind person might flinch when a basketball whizzes past their head. But in the end, you don't see and react to something in the way that you think you do. You probably react before you even see it. My spider sense is tingling. (laughs) There's an idea called the panspermia theory that says humans didn't start out here on Earth. This idea is controversial, and it's pretty fringe, but it does have some legs in science. It's not some totally out-there alien conspiracy theory. I'll save that for our stories on the pyramids. The thing is, we know that we evolved here from Homo erectus about 200,000 years ago, and Homo erectus showed up about a million years ago here on Earth. But we can't trace our origins all the way back to the beginning. Our origins are shrouded in so much confusion, some scientists wonder if we started here at all. Sure, it's a simple explanation that we started here, but when life on this planet showed up about 4 billion years ago, it was during a time when the Earth was getting hit with a lot of meteors. Some think that any life during that time would have died because, well, meteors. I mean, the meteor that took out the dinosaurs was so devastating, it would have made the surface of our planet hotter than the sun, according to Peter Brannon's book, The Ends of the World. The heat wouldn't have lasted long, but it was impossible to survive. The panspermia theory flips that idea on its head, though. It says the very meteors that snuffed out the first signs of life on Earth had been carrying signs of life on board. 
Theoretically, bacterial spores could survive hitching a ride through outer space on a meteor, potentially for thousands of years. These hardy, microscopic beings go into sleep mode when they can't get to any nutrients, but they reanimate once they're in a hospitable environment. Sure, like all life, they can die, but they're not particularly prone to it. The real snag in the panspermia theory is that the spores would still have to come from somewhere, and we haven't found life on another planet. Yet. But we all know that statistically, there's at least decent chance that there's life out there somewhere. The panspermia theory is far from proven, but it's far from unproven, too. Maybe aliens are not sinister outsiders. Maybe they're really our ancestors. It was aliens. (laughs) It feels like it's just kicking the can down the road, though. I mean, if life came from outer space, we still have to explain how life started in outer space. Science, there's always more questions. Read about today's stories and more on Curiosity.com. Join us again tomorrow for the award-winning Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.